Hello and welcome to Next Level Ops, a podcast that explores tools, tips, and techniques for hosting and managing websites presented by Plesk. Today, our guest is Brian Richards. He is the founder of WP Sessions and the organizer of uh, WooSesh. And we're going to be doing a little e-commerce retrospective of 2021, looking at everything we talked about here on Next Level Ops this year. And then we'll be looking towards the future. And towards the end, Brian and I will both be giving you some insider info on how our Black Friday sales went after implementing some of the advice that Jason Coleman shared on the last episode. But before we get started, a quick reminder... Subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. You can do that over at plesk.com slash podcast. All right, now let's get on with the show. Brian Richards, good friend, repeat guest, first ever. How are you today? Oh, I am thrilled. I didn't realize I'm the first ever repeat guest on this podcast. That is quite the honor. You are indeed. You know, I like to close out seasons strong. We like to do that. Uh, in these parts. And uh, so you have, I think you have closed out season one as well, talking about uh, web developer tools, which was a delightful conversation. Well, thank you. Yeah, I was already having a great day. Uh, I'm a little worried now that I won't be able to fit out of my office because my head will have inflated <laughs> too big to fit through the doorway. But yeah, it's been a great I, day. Great I have, so I've far. already texted your wife to let her know about that. So she, oh, uh, she has Good instructions deal. to deflate you soon after we record. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know, Brian and I are, are good friends. We've known each other for several years. We worked at the agency level for a number of years, working on WordPress sites and e-commerce sites. Uh, and we've kind of grown our businesses together ever since. And so I thought Brian would be the perfect person to talk to because uh, as the organizer of WooSesh, which is the uh, only WooCommerce event, uh, throughout the calendar year and has been for what you uh, four years, I think we said in the pre-show. Four years, yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian gets a lot of insight from industry experts uh, about, about e-commerce in general. And so um, just as a reminder, we started the year off by talking about uh, the importance of digital presence before talking to uh, Alberto Medina at Google about um, performance. And so let's, let's start there. Uh, in, in your experience, Brian, is it, is it enough to just kind of put up a, a, a payment button, a store page, and expect people to buy? It is, in fact, enough. All you got to do is put a buy button and people will flock to your website and start to give you money. It's incredible. Amazing. No, that is never <laughs> how it works, uh, almost ever. Uh, at minimum, you need to tell people who want what you're selling that you're selling it. Uh, and uh, beyond that, you need to tell them multiple times before they uh, are comfortable enough to give you their money for whatever it is that you happen to be selling. Yeah, that's exactly right, right? Especially, uh, you know, I think... I'll, I certainly used to take the, I call it field of dreams marketing approach, right? If I build it, they will come. Uh, that was maybe true uh, for Google, right? Because uh, Google didn't exist before Google. And so they just built a better product um, that worked better than every other search engine out there and people started using it. Um, but very few online businesses 
can really say that. I don't know if any can say that these days, right? Because we we don't see the origin story, right? We just see where when they get big. They could have been around for 10 years before they got big. Yep. I once delivered a conference talk about how to become uh, successful. Uh, and I can't remember the title of the talk, but for sure one of the slides partway through is how to become an overnight success. And the secret to that was to start several years ago and work for about 10,000 hours on whatever it is that you're doing until you get really good at it and you become known for it. And then suddenly overnight, people know what your name is. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And you know, it's, it's funny um, because we see, for example, Shopify, right? Uh, Shopify, I think has been around since like 2011. I want to say, I think Patrick Rowland mentioned something like that uh, in, in our episode with him. Uh, but e- even more shocking than that to me was I learned that TikTok has been around since 2016. Uh, so TikTok is five years old. And uh, as we record in at the end of 2021, it's it is huge and it's the it's the place where small businesses probably need to go next. So you're absolutely right about that, right? People think that TikTok just kind of showed up one day in, in 2020 when we were all bored at home and on our phones, but it's, it's it was around for four years before that. Yeah, exactly right. Perfect case study example. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so um, something else that we that we've talked about uh, kind of early in the season was this the, the idea of omni-channel marketing, right? Kind of being um, being where your customers are. And so this is maybe selling on Facebook, Instagram. Um, I know that at least a lot of people I talked to, especially because earlier this year, like Facebook was down for some number of hours. There was a, a renewed conversation around owning your platform. I think we both use WooCommerce for our platforms. Uh, but uh, have you, wh- what are the thoughts that you've seen kind of around being, doing this omni-channel marketing thing? Because um, I know you've talked to like people like uh, Big Commerce and, and Square uh, were uh, people who spoke at your conference. So I'm, I'm just curious, getting, getting a different perspective on that. Yeah, so it, it's, it's hard because it's obviously a good strategy, right? The more places where you can sell your services and merchandise, the better. Uh, it's always best to find customers where they already are, uh, and especially where they're already making those purchase decisions. And so um, the, the greater your opportunity the, uh, of finding them where they are, the greater your opportunity for having increase of sales. The challenge with that, of course, is most small businesses aren't equipped to run their stores in all of these different places, which is why so many services and platforms exist to help you specifically with this facet of things. And uh, it it used to be far more difficult. I think it's considerably easier now, and I think it will continue to become easier. Uh, one example, uh, a simple example that you can do almost for free with WooCommerce is that you can essentially mirror your products in a a store on Facebook. This was true several years ago already, where you just say like, yeah, every product I make on my store, I also want to exist on Facebook. And then they can see the products and browse them there on Facebook and they can click the buy button, which then brings them back to your store to complete the transaction. Uh, But Omnichannel is, is more like they can complete the transaction right there wherever they are. 
And then all of that data gets aggregated into a single reporting hub, which is what takes the complication of like, well, I need to duplicate my inventory in all of these places, or I need to mirror it so they can find it in other places, like the Facebook example I just mentioned, and then bring them back to my site where they can complete the order so that I can keep everything straight. Uh, and so m- many of the services out there handle the keeping things straight. You put your place, you, you put all of your stuff into a single source of truth. It gets disseminated to all of these other platforms. And uh, the net result is you get more sales because you are in front of more customers where they are already looking and theoretically where they're already making those purchase decisions. So uh, I am a big fan of it. I don't personally run it for, uh, for my site because I, I run a training business where people can come and buy training. Um, but I do really like it for all of the other sort of e-commerce that, any physical products that people are selling, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction, right? Because same thing for me, I run a a membership and and courses uh, where people are going to have to go back and create an account on my site anyway. Uh, So Omnichannel doesn't necessarily make the most sense for me at least at this point, right? Maybe there there comes a time where somebody could buy my product on Facebook and then you single sign on through Facebook to create an account. But at today, as we record, uh, that's not necessarily something that makes most sense for us. Um, I, I will at this point, uh, because one of our episodes covered the launch of the uh, Plesk e-commerce toolkit and the Plesk e-commerce toolkit does have... Um, omni-channel, uh, some omni-channel support here where you can sell on uh, Amazon and eBay. It integrates nicely with uh, online store, Facebook, Instagram with mobile point of sale, social advertising, and uh, a bunch of other really great features that were kind of uh, an, a, a solution to the problem that small business owners were having, especially in 2020 when people were getting, uh, were people were forced to, to put their business online. So something else, uh, just as we kind of recap what we've talked about so far um, this year, something else that was we spent multiple episodes on was security and performance, right? So performance and, and security were, were something that Alberto talked about when we talked about core web vitals. But then we had a specific episode with Chris Teitzel of Locker on security. And we talked about lots of fun stuff like PCI compliance uh, and SSL and things like that. And I, I don't know that there's anything that, that wasn't said that, um, that is, I, I don't know that there's another perspective to bring up here, except just to say that it's it's really important, right? Um, you you need to have a secure site. You need to make sure you're using appropriate payment gateways. Yeah, that is essential. Uh, it's also essential to routinely uh, test your site and make sure that you are actively scanning for vulnerabilities. Uh, and ideally, you've got either a suite of tools or a service that you're working with to help you maintain the integrity of the site that you're running. And if there is a breach of any kind, that that can be uh, corrected and cleaned up as quickly as possible. And importantly, I, I missed that particular episode, uh, but if there is a security breach of any kind where any data is compromised, 
Uh, it's also important that you let your customers know. It's a very responsible thing to do. Uh, in some parts of the world, it's a legal requirement that you inform them of any such breaches. And if you're following proper PCI compliance and you're using any number of gateways, uh, thankfully, you don't have to worry about the, the payment details being lost. Uh, but you do still need to worry about other personal identifying information, PII, uh, like their name, their address, their email address, phone number. All of those things are sensitive pieces of data that you could inadvertently expose if uh, a site is compromised. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, a, a more phys- uh, f- a philosophical conversation that I don't think we'll have time for today, but I'm really curious to get uh, your thoughts on maybe in a future episode is as we record this uh, this week, the Gravatar, I'll use quote fingers for data breach because there is some uh, debate over whether it was a data breach or not uh, happened. And I'm just, I'm just generally curious, right? Because it is that was publicly accessible information that an exploit was used to easily aggregate, right? Uh, basically, the email hashes were um, in, innumerable, right? Where you could figure out what they all were kind of based on one, essentially. Yeah, you could, uh, a security researcher realized that you could enumerate all of the different user accounts and worked their way through millions, hundreds of millions, and slurped all of the public data. And so on one hand, this isn't a, a huge overstep because the data was already public, but it was not meant to be sort of uh, an index of like, here's everybody's name and email address and username. And that's what they exploited here. And uh, further context, they didn't have the email addresses, but because all of the email addresses were encrypted using the same MD5 hashing algorithm, they were eventually able to crack and reverse most of them. It was like 157 Mm. million accounts that they scooped up, and 120 or 112 million of those they were able to uh, get the correct email address out of on the other end. Yeah, that's that's really something, right? And and Gravatar, when this was discovered, it was patched, which really makes me think it was a security be- breach, right? If there if it was not a problem, you wouldn't change it, or you wouldn't mm-hmm. feel like you had to fix it or call it a patch. But um, I just thought that was kind of interesting and, and relevant, right? And and people will say, well, Gravatar is huge, right? You just mentioned like 160 million email addresses, but um, something that I think is worth reiterating is most attacks are are um, most cyber attacks are done on smaller shops because they are the most likely to be exploitable, exploitable, exploitable. Yes, uh, there's also a, a, a very interesting thread that I read from Patrick McKenzie, who's Patio Eleven on Twitter and everywhere. Um, he recently started a really good newsletter about uh, commerce and business and such. And he was sharing that uh, Cyber Monday, uh, and specifically Giving Tuesday, is a hotbed for credit card fraud. And that there's this entire enormous infrastructure that exists for the purpose of servicing credit card fraud. I don't mean fighting credit card fraud and, and battling it, but I mean the people who are defrauding Credit card holders have built out enormous infrastructure to get better at defrauding people. 
And wow. Giving Tuesday and online donations are an, a huge opportunity for them to do this because they want to verify that the credit cards they have work so that the people who buy their credit cards have a lot of faith that they're buying good stolen credit cards that they can use and get away with it. And so they will verify this a bunch of ways, one of which is using the credit cards on small nonprofits to just run a quick inexpensive test, right? $5, $10, 15, 20, 100 maybe. And they verify, yep, this credit card works. And then they can show that to the person who wants to buy it and say, look, this was tested yesterday. And so tons of nonprofit organizations get swept up in this every year, all throughout the year. And it's bad for them too, because uh, the credit card companies do their job and they claim, reclaim that money, they claw it back. And then the nonprofit who processed all of those stolen cards gets hit and could lose the ability to process credit cards in the future because they become a source of so many credit card complaints and refunds. Uh, and so Stripe, among uh, many other payment gateways, work through many sophisticated ways to battle this. Uh, but it, it, it plays in here, right, where small shops who aren't equipped, who aren't aware of this kind of sophisticated massive network style attack where it just looks like, oh yeah, here's somebody who spent 10 bucks. Here's somebody who spent 15. Here's somebody yeah. who spent 20. And uh, they wouldn't recognize that, oh wow, these were stolen credit cards. That's that's absolutely, inc- I had no idea. I will link to Patrick McKenzie in the show notes for this episode, uh, which you can find over at plus.com slash podcast. That's Absolutely wild. Uh, I'm really glad that you talked about that because I'm I'm in a little bit of disbelief though. I don't know why. Um, you know, how many calls do you get a day about like your car warranty or like your, you know, we can forgive all your debt. Just tell us your credit card number. Um, yeah. Which they're very sophisticated as well because I've tried giving them test credit card numbers and uh, they knew I was lying. Like they just, I guess they have a list. Uh-huh. Uh, sure. So um that's really, I'm really glad I brought that up now because uh, something else that I know you're you're very well equipped to talk about here because your sites load incredibly fast is performance and the importance of uh, having a fast website, right? You've seen the stat thrown around a lot. Um, 80, you know, 80% of people leave if your site takes more than four or five seconds to load. Um, and I'll, I'll take a hard line here because I was having this conversation in a, uh, a, a, another live stream I was doing where somebody commented and they're like, well, you know that with that stat, it depends. And I'm like, this is not an, it depends stat. Like, it's just not, um, your, your site needs to be fast. If, if people are going to buy from it because people are impatient, but also if it size takes forever to load, you know, it's, it feels a little less trustworthy. Um, so I'd love to ask you, some of the things that you've implemented on your sites, because they are both beautiful and fast. Uh, and I'll tee you up for the first one. Cause I, when you told me this, it blew my mind. You uploaded uh, black and white photos of all of the speakers because they tend to load faster than, than color photos. Is that accurate? That is a true statement though, with a heavy asterisk, there's a, there's a lot of different factors that go into the the final file size for an image. Uh, but in general, the the data, right? If we have lots of color data, those are many different colors that have to be kept track of in the file. And if we're just talking about 
uh, a smaller image set. Like this is how image optimization worked in the '90s. You would right. set like when up output a, a GIF or GIF for you newer kids that <laughs> has 256 colors, and that's it. That's it. We have 256 colors to work with. The software is going to figure out which of those 256 colors make the cut. Uh, PNGs uh, and JPEG are the same. JPEG, you have access to all of them, but PNG at 8-bit, uh, you're still working with a limited color palette. And so the more you can do that intentionally of reducing your color palette, the smaller your image is going to be, which is not a useful thing. Like, well, I'm taking full-color photos of all of these things of highly detailed things. Like, yeah, don't convert your product images to black and white. This, right. The, right. the point here isn't to, to like, oh, I need to, to do this, but depending on what your imagery is, you need to employ a different strategy to make it the most economical in terms of file size and thus the bandwidth that's being spent to load your page. Right. And something uh, in at least, well, in WordPress specifically, which I suspect a lot of listeners are familiar with, um, that happened this year is native support for WebP images, which are a vastly optimized, uh, vastly optimized, is that the right way to put it? It's a very optimized way of representing images. Um, it's, I think, what are they, 25 to 30% uh, smaller than, than JPEGs, which I think are the smallest images that, that we, we had previously? Yeah, they are substantially improved. It's a bit of a trade-off at the moment because they're not super widely supported by all browsers, by all devices, right. et cetera. So it'll be a while before we can yeah. fully embrace them. Though I will, one of the, I will say, uh, I will say here that Safari also this year started supporting them, which I think is why WordPress uh, finally did add it to the uploads. I, I know this for a fact because it was shortly after my book came out where I was like, WebP is not supported by Safari at the time of this writing. And then Safari's like, we got it. And I'm like, and my book is outdated. Already. <laughs> Already. Yeah. Immediately outdated. Yes. Yep. Uh, yeah. So one of the uh, other benefits of some of the things of, of modern web is that you can start using them immediately and then fall back in places where WebP is not supported to your typical PNG or JPEG or GIF or GIF, depending on how you mm. prefer to pronounce it. Right. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. And uh, that's, I mean, and that's all kind of supported now by by standard HTML markup as well. And if you're a store owner and you're, we're talking about, it sounds Greek, what we're saying, um, know that most platforms that you use are, are going to, most modern platforms, I'll say, uh, will make these optimizations appropriately for you. Um, you know, WordPress, Wix, Shopify, Shorely. Um, which brings me to uh, another thing that, um, kind of maybe the last big thing that we'll talk about here is is the platform that you choose, right? Again, most of both of us use WooCommerce on top of WordPress, but there are some days where I'm like, maybe I should have just used Teachable or Kajabi or whatever, right? Um, and then I think, well, but I have all this cool custom stuff. Uh, so I'm just curious to get your take on hosted versus, you know, self-hosted versus a hosted platform. Yeah, well, uh, my take about all software is that it's all terrible, and uh, <laughs> I I hate all of it because right there's always something we want to do and we can't do, and thus software is the limitation. Why didn't they make it do this? Uh, 
Uh, I prefer self-hosted for most things, not all things, right? I use a payment gateway. That's a hosted service. Sure, I'm yeah. not going to write my own credit card process or I'm yeah. not going to work out agreements with every credit card provider and bank, et cetera. Uh, so already, even though I have my own self-hosted e-commerce store, I'm already using other people's services to make it operable. Uh, if I were running a, a huge thing that required a lot of infrastructure, but I'm still a small operation, going with a hosted solution like Shopify is a very, very good idea. Uh, but uh, also at a point, you may want to do something custom and suddenly Shopify doesn't become a good idea. And then you move back to being self-hosted uh, for a whole host of reasons. So I like my self-hosted setup because of the flexibility and customizations that it uh, enables me to do, and specifically that I personally can do having a development background. It's really nice to be able to flex that superpower. In fact, just this week, I was chatting with someone, and I'm going to try some one-time offer pages wherein I put a checkout on that page. So when someone says, I want this, they don't have to click the button, we put the thing in the cart, take them to the checkout, they say, yes, fill in their information and go to the order confirmation page. We can just do it all on one page. And I know that I can just do that with WooCommerce. Um, it's not to say that anyone can just do that. That's a, a somewhat stupid, complicated thing to do. But I know that I can do it, which makes a test like this very easy for me to run and see, does this provide a material difference versus having the extra step of going from this offer page to the cart to another page? Yeah, that's a really great point, right? You and I are both developers, and so we have uh, a, a, dis a different perspective, surely, uh, but also a different skill set where it it would be a lot easier for us to write, you know, a WordPress plugin to do thing that we needed to do. Um, we yeah. don't have to go to wherever and hire somebody or look for the perfect plugin. That said, I I've been running kind of similar tests using WP Simple Pay. Um, but to circle back to your first comment about this, right, which is you are using Stripe, which is someone else's platform. I think that's a, a really interesting point to make, right? Because it's not just like Shopify versus WooCommerce where you own one but not the other. I, I mean, I don't really own WooCommerce either, right? Surely I'm using WooCommerce subscriptions which uh, that's someone else's software. Um, but I'm, I'm also using PayPal and Stripe. And, you know, if, if PayPal and Stripe disappear tomorrow, I'm going to have to find a different payment gateway. Uh, if you're really interested in payment gateways, uh, two episodes ago, uh, we talked to uh, the folks at Evo Payments who have partnered with Plesk. Um, but it was a really interesting conversation about the, well, very interesting to me, uh, about the inner workings of a payment gateway and everything that goes into it. It's really, if you want a deeper understanding, that's a great episode. But uh, the point being, Brian, what you said, I don't want to, I don't want to worry about implementing any of that. Yeah, Like that's exactly. so much liability. <laughs> yeah. So. And uh, so hosted services, I think are great, even as a person who can roll my own stuff. Uh, and routinely rediscovers that I shouldn't, that I should just use things that other people have made because they already exist, and I don't need to keep creating stuff that already exists. Uh, proving an idea using a hosted platform is the fastest, probably best way to do it. Like, I think this is going to work. What is, what is the least amount of effort 
uh, that I can put forth to demonstrate that this will or will not work. Uh, well, I'll, let me just use this hosted service. I'll put the stuff in there. I'll put that in front of some people who I think want this, who've demonstrated an interest in this thing, and we'll see what their response rate is like. Uh, it takes a stupid amount of effort to do that in a completely self-hosted environment where you spin up everything. But, but also not always, right? Like if you have a process for the way that you do things, like I can spin up a brand new WordPress site with WooCommerce installed and all the plugins that I need and uh, the payment gateways, et cetera. Probably in the same amount of time it would take me to spin up a, a new hosted uh, environment for the thing that I want to show off. So uh, take all yeah. of this with a grain of salt. Go with whatever route uh, will support your current and immediate future needs the best. Uh, in most cases, it's easy to reverse a decision you make of like, well, I went with hosted, but now I want a self-hosted solution. Good news, you can export your data and migrate and, and bring it in. Oh, I started with self-hosted, but now I really want to move to this hosted infrastructure. Hey, great. You can also do it the opposite direction and take everything with you and go there. That's It's not really a permanent decision. It it might be a painful decision to to change down the road, but very few of these decisions are actually permanent. Yeah, beauty of working on the web, right, is... Uh... You can you can do things, try things quickly, and and change if you want to. Right, once a building is built, it's going to be very costly. You basically have to rebuild the building or whatever. Um, so, I think that that's a really great point. And I would also say, you know, do what allows you to spend your time wisely. So, uh, again, I'm I'm very capable of setting up my own self hosted stuff, but I run my community on Circle. Because I looked at the arduous task of setting up uh, a self-hosted option that works on top of WordPress. And I was like, I don't feel like blowing 40 hours, probably getting it to where I want it to be. Maybe generously, we'll say 20 hours, getting it to where I want it to be. When Circle is already where I want it to be. So um, again, even though I have the capability, I my 20 to 40 hours were better spent somewhere else. So before we get to uh, out 2022 Outlook, um, last episode we talked to, to Jason Coleman of Sitewide Sales about Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales. I have just come off of what is my best sale ever to date. Um, I, You and I have spoke privately. I know that you also did pretty well. Um, so... What are some of the things that you learned from your Black Friday sale that you think is is helpful to to move forward for other store owners? So first, to lay the framework here, lots of people are hesitant to run a Black Friday sale in the software space, in in the WordPress space where we come from. They're like, should I do this? Should I not? Is this, uh, am I being too much of a capitalist? Like, is this a bad thing? Will it make previous customers upset? Uh and I would encourage everyone to just put those worries out of their mind. Uh, our friend Justin Fairman just recently published a post about this that I really liked where he mm -hmm. basically said, if you're wondering if you should run a Black Friday sale, the answer is unequivocally, yes, you should. You absolutely should. Now, what that sale looks like will be different depending on your business, but you should absolutely run something. First of all, because customers are already expecting it. People who are who had been interested in what you were selling, but it was close enough to Black Friday that they had the forethought to think, hmm, I should wait a week and just just see. Uh, so you should absolutely run a sale. Uh, people who bought your stuff before the sale, 
aren't going to be upset that someone else got in on the discount. And if they are, they'll let you know. And then you can use your discretion to say, yeah, you know what? You bought this just two days before the sale and now it's a lower price. Absolutely. But it's also perfectly okay to say, no, this was worth that much money to you two days ago. And now that you see someone else getting a better deal, like, is this suddenly worth less money? Is this a less valuable thing? Uh, so that's, there's, in summary, there are a lot of questions about the ethics of running sales. And I'm here to tell you that it's okay uh, and expected and desirable that you run sales. Nothing's uh, permanent, right? That's, I think that's another benefit of being in our space, right? Somebody spends money yesterday, you can give them a partial refund today if you want to. Bingo. Yeah. Exactly. You can also retroactively do that. Like, oh man, look at all these people who bought yesterday and now it's on sale. I'm just going to proactively offer them a refund, uh, which would be a very kind, altruistic thing to do. I would encourage you not to do that in most cases because they didn't <laughs> want that refund. Uh, yeah. But if you wanted to do it, you could, and that would help engender some goodwill. Yeah. Uh, I, what, what I did was, at least for my list, my current customers, I, I gave them the code early, like a week or so early. And I was like, hey, this sale is coming because you're on the list, though. If you want to use it today, you can. That, which I think probably helped, right? Because I got one refund request from somebody who bought a course multiple months ago. And now the, the course is part of the membership. Uh, and I kindly explained to this person that you bought lifetime access to that course. Uh, and so I, I'm not going to offer a partial refund for the membership, which includes many other benefits. But even if you decide not to renew the membership, you'll still have access to that one course. Bingo. That's yeah. exactly perfect. Yeah. So I, uh, personally, historically, I think I've, in, in the eight years that I've been running WP Sessions, I've run four Black Friday promotions. Been hit or miss. Uh, and it's not because I, on the fans, like, is this worth it or not? But it's, I'm lazy and I'm running a business alone and I didn't <laughs> have enough time to put together a promo sufficiently and now it's Thanksgiving Day here in the U.S., and I don't want to put in hours of work to run the sale, so I'm just not going to do one. And invariably, I do not get a huge rush of sales on those years that I skipped, and when I do uh, run a promo, I do see a nice uh, uptick in sales that I otherwise wouldn't get. So I've got empirical data to show when I do run a promotion, I do get sales, and when I don't, I don't get sales. Uh, this year, my promotion was uh, fairly different. So a few years ago, I offered a lifetime deal so people could pay once and become a member for life on my site. And there's a whole bunch of conversations about should we give lifetime deals or not in uh, SaaS-based businesses. And I'm generally of the mind that you shouldn't because what you get is an increased support burden and never, ever, ever getting additional money. In my case of running an educational business where I'm, I'm just giving people increased access to new content, uh, there's no additional support burden on my half of, of having you know, 1,000 customers versus 800 customers. Uh, they, they just do get more content for free, and that's fine. Uh, so I ran a lifetime deal. Uh, I didn't discount my prices at all, and in fact, I raised my prices after Cyber Monday. So I had this weird, weird thing where uh, I, I started an educational campaign before Black Friday because a lot of people had been asking different things about client-based, service-based work. And so I, I recorded a few videos on that and gave them this three-part mini course 
And then on Friday, I said, okay, a lot of people have also asked about lifetime deals this week, which was true. And so I made 100 lifetime deals available for Friday only. And I sent four emails, one to say, you can now buy one, one you've got 12 hours left, one that you've got two hours left, and one that you've got 20 minutes left, which for a lot of people who are uncomfortable with marketing, uh, who don't like getting email, they hear that and like, oh, God, that's gross. I couldn't ever do that. I would maybe send them one email. And sure, fair, uh, that's your comfort level. But I will tell you from experience that sending four emails led to a tremendous growth uh, and burst in sales. Every single email I sent uh, is directly attributable to multiple thousands of dollars of sales for this promotion. Every single one, including the one that said you have 20 minutes left. And you just might be thinking like, you sent people three emails already. What good is this fourth email? Well, I personally, and many people on my list have demonstrated, uh, forget about uh, something that they went to buy. And I will routinely remember afterwards and the thing has sold out. I'm like, oh, dang it. Or the deal has ended or, or whatever. I'm like, whoops. Well, I guess I'll catch that on the next one. And then I close the tab and those people never get my money and I never get the thing that they were selling. And so here I was looking to combat that and say, all right, if you've been on the fence, you've got 20 minutes now, this is your last chance. You can either buy it or not. And then uh, so many people showed up that it actually sold out. So uh, minutes before the deadline would have elapsed, the, the quantity limit that I set was done. Uh, and then lots of people afterwards were like, oh, shoot, I, I missed the window. Can you open it again? And in this case, uh, you can use your own judgment of like, sure, I'll let a few more people in. Or no, I have to be true to my word. I said when this sold out or when this deadline passed, that was the end. And so I, I maintained that hard line. I gave up additional revenue to say, nope, this is what I told everybody. I'm sorry, uh, you missed out. Uh, but you could still join as an annual member before Monday when prices increase. Uh, and sure enough, they said, okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for the heads up. And they joined as an annual member and locked in the current pricing for as long as they remain a member. And it was, uh, like you, Joe, one of my best, uh, promotional events. Uh, maybe not ever when I, when I first announced memberships six years ago, that was extremely successful, but this is, uh, definitely the most profitable single day that I've had in eight years of running the business. And I didn't compare them precisely, but it's, it's really close to topping what that initial offering was six years before. Right. And I think in both of our cases, right, uh, the results of our sales well exceeded our expectations. For sure. Yeah. Based on the number of people that I was emailing, I was expecting um, about a third or less of what I actually got. Uh, the, the response from my mailing list truly surprised me. and. Uh, as you mentioned, Jason Coleman shared a ton of great advice in the in the last episode, um, and that is a, a lot of what I did. So um, I agree with his take that uh, a 33% or 50% discount is what it's going to take to get people to take action. I think anything less than that, and they're going to avoid it. Uh, funnily enough, I didn't I didn't exactly do that this time, but I did, right? The lifetime deal was actually three times what it would cost mm -hmm. for someone to sign up for a year at the existing rate, but it was a one-to-one -one cost for what people would pay in December as a new member. It was either $300 to join for life on Friday or $300 per year to join as a new member starting the following Wednesday. Uh, and similarly, the price went up. It was $200 per year 
and then it became $300 per year. So if they bought on Cyber Monday, it was like getting a 33% discount. Right. Um, yeah. Of what the price would be if they waited just, you know, 36 hours. Yeah. And so, so Jason's advice is what led me to my 33% discount. Um, which actually is probably closer to a 50% discount because I will be raising my rate, my price again in January. Um, but you actually encouraged me to send two extra emails on the last day of my sale. And those emails led to more sales. Uh, so I, I did, I really, my list is not, my, uh, my target audience is changing. The mission of my membership is changing. And I had some preparation. I started thinking about this in October. I think this is important, right? This is also something that, that Jason talked about, start thinking about it early. And so I started thinking about it in October about where I want my business to go and what changes I'll be making to my business. And that guided the messaging for my sale and what the sale would be, which was the last time a la carte courses would be offered and then the membership and what you could learn on the membership. And so right before my sale went live, I redesigned my homepage um, to, and I used um, information I got from my mailing list, terms that they used. I think that's really important, right? And uh, that preparation plus sending the emails led to me uh, making 50% more than my stretch goal and probably like double or triple what I actually thought I would make. Uh, so emails prepping your list uh, and, and having some preparation worked out extremely well for both of us. And I actually called an audible about halfway through my, e my email sequence um, because I noticed that the membership was a lot more popular than the a la, uh, a la carte sales, a la carte course sales, uh, which was another surprising thing to me. Cause I was like, people are just going to go for the lifetime deal, but the membership value proposition was so good. Uh, so that I changed some of those emails to really focus on the benefits of the membership. And it worked out. All of my emails converted at least one sale. Congratulations. Thank you. You too. Um, so I would encourage, I think the Black Friday sale episode of this, of this season is the most popular one. And if you haven't heard it yet, I would strongly recommend that you do uh, because Jason also gives some general advice about any sale. So if you want to have like a spring cleaning sale or a new beginning sale, right? New year, new you sale. Um, he offers some really good advice. Uh, now, we've been talking for a while, as is often the case with you and me, um, but I do want to wrap up the show with what to look for in 2022. I have some ill-formed, uh, uninformed thoughts based on my own observations, uh, but I would like to deflect to you as somebody who's heard several hours of presentations on the state of e-commerce. Uh, so what does 2022 hold for e-commerce? I would say that 2022 holds. Uh many billions or trillions of dollars of sales worldwide for e-commerce specifically, because that's been true for the last several years and it will not be any less true next year, right? The world has become increasingly more uh, amenable to spending their money online and it's easier than ever for people who aren't 
Amazon, who aren't Walmart, who aren't these big juggernaut, juggernauts to put up a store, demonstrate trust, and gain new customers. You've got all the tools and tactics that these big operations use uh, through omni-channel services, through security um, uh, researchers and, uh, and uh, right, site, site protection services that exist. And uh, the same networking, uh, sorry, the same uh, advertising networks that uh, they have access to. Now, you don't have their budgets, you don't have their resources, etc. You're not going to become them, but you can, you have every opportunity to uh, grow your business by following some of the cool things that were previously only available to rather sophisticated businesses. Uh, in terms of like specific tactics that are coming about, I think we're going to see a lot more, um, a lot more mainstream uh, headless commerce where people just have a, a buy button anywhere uh, with one-click checkout experiences. There have been many new payment gateway providers and payment service providers like Fast where you can just drop this button anywhere you want. Someone can uh, complete a one-click checkout and like they don't even have to go to your site. It's incredible. So I think we'll see a lot more um, because of that inline purchasing experiences, uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and like all of these different platforms have been experimenting with this for years now. And I think we are pretty close to it just becoming the way things happen, especially with uh, the parent, parent company of Facebook changing its name to Meta, right? And thinking through this interconnected metaverse uh, which is equal parts cool and gross to me mm -hmm. to think about yeah. the, the way in which like all of these big corporations are uh, perceiving the way our world changes. But the, the thrust of this is that commerce will happen in more places than we had previously expected. And I think it'll be more like the real world, right? Where if you are uh, walking through a town that has a pretty popular uh, commerce district, like a a main street where you've got all of these different shops in a row and you're going like, I'm going to go to the bakery, then I'm going to go to the stationery store, then I'm going to go see my butcher. And then along the way, uh, I, I'm passing <laughs> someone selling stuff on the street, right? Kids selling candlestick, cookies. Candlestick maker, maybe, right? Yeah, the butcher, the baker, butcher, candlestick baker, maker. candlestick maker, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> uh, right, where in the real world, you've, uh, you know, years ago, before e-commerce, it was totally common. Like, oh, I'm going to go here, I'm going to buy something. I'm going to go into this next store, I'm going to buy something. Uh, in a mall, right, we've got kiosks between all the different stores. Like, oh, I'm going to stop here and give this person some money. And you're, you're having, these transactions are taking place in multiple different locations, physical locations. Um, and our e-commerce stuff already takes place at multiple different digital locations where I'm going to Amazon, then I'm going to stop over at you know, wherever and buy my stuff here. Uh, but the the stopping to pay someone else money along the way, like where you see someone selling, you know, magazines or there's a food cart or or something between these two stops, that I think is going to be much more prevalent on the internet as well. Uh, whereas like you're scrolling through Instagram and you see uh, mm. some cool thing that a place is making, like oh yeah, I actually I would like that. And then there's a buy button right there, and then they just take your money, and you get the thing, and you don't have to go through all these. Well, I got to fill in the you know the checkout form, I got to give my name, right. and my address, and this and that. Like no, you just hit the button, and the service takes care of all the rest. They connect your details to the store. The store can then ship, ship you the thing that you 
paid for, whether it's a digital product or physical product. Like I, I expect that will become much more frictionless uh, and ubiquitous starting. I mean, it's already started. I think we'll, we'll become more aware of it next year and it'll just be a thing that we don't even think about, you know, maybe even by the end of next year. That's yeah, the biggest prediction I've got. That's such a great prediction. And if we, if we look like, if we look back over the last few years, you can see the slow march to that, right? Um, where you could see like credit card readers uh, coming out, right? So that anybody could take a, I sold my own books um, before WordCamps told us that we couldn't sell from the stage. I sold my own books literally from the stage because I had a square reader, right? So people could just pay me and and get a signed copy of my book after a talk. Um, and that was back in 2014. And then we've kind of seen that that slow march where anybody can get these payments and take credit cards without having to get like an authorized.com account. Uh, and then we start seeing the the Apple Pay and Google Pay buttons where it's buttons already associated with your account. Stripe has it. Shopify has it. So, um, and then like this year I paid for, we, we cut down a real Christmas tree this year. We cut down two. Um, uh, cause my daughter saw like one that was her height and loved it. And we're like, all right, well we have the room, uh, in our house. So, um, I paid with those with a credit card, which is like, these guys are literal tree farmers. And last year they looked at me sideways when I was like, can I pay with a credit card? And this year they're like, yeah, we've got Venmo or you could just use your card in this thing. And I'm like, amazing. We picked up pumpkins for Halloween and paid with Venmo. The, the farmers weren't even on site. They had a wagon with uh, you know, a cash box and all of these scannable things for paying with Venmo. And they had a couple of security cameras that were uh, solar powered and wirelessly connected to you know, just keep an eye on their operations. And then they just trusted the good nature of people to show up and buy the things that they were doing and pay appropriately for what they are. And yeah, we scanned the QR code, made the payment, got back in our car and left. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And so I love, I love this. Well, I like kind of love, hate it, right? Uh, right. People say they hate being sold to, but let's be honest. When, when you're presented with something you want and, and need or need American slang for want, um, mm-hmm. making it as easy as possible to purchase is so clutch, right? I've, um, I've told my own clients, right? They're like, how should we pay or, or what should we use in our site? And I'm like, you should make it as easy as possible for people to give you money. Um, and again, we're kind of seeing the same thing with invoicing software, right? Uh, I, I noticed that both QuickBooks and FreshBooks this year rolled out payment links. So you don't have to even send an invoice. You just send them a link and then they pay with that link. And, um, it's all as, as easy as, as possible. Um, so I, I, I totally get what you're saying and I, I can absolutely see it. I love, uh, is headless commerce, is this like something that you've said? I've never heard that term before. Yeah. Uh, that's not something that I coined, but that, that is what I said. That's, uh, what a lot of people have been more working towards. You mentioned big commerce. They've been trying to uh, build out an engine for delivering headless commerce solutions. There are different uh, plugins and extensions for WooCommerce that take take over the checkout experience. And yeah. it's like, what you're taking the 
the actual commerce out of WooCommerce at that point. What are you even doing? I'm like, well, WooCommerce provides a lot of value beyond its checkout page, like the the ability to just list and manage your your goods on your store yeah. and take control over the layout, et cetera. But the uh, maybe the checkout experience is not what you need for the other part of your business. Well, good news. There are these drop-in solutions. I mentioned Fast as you know, just a one-click checkout option that people can use. Um, Apple Pay technically bypasses the, the on-site checkout experience. Uh, and uh, Big Commerce has uh, their stuff for doing this. Bold Commerce, where uh, right. someone from Bold Commerce spoke at WooCommerce, um, along with the, uh, a couple of folks from Crowd Favorite, the agency and talked about uh, composable solutions around e-commerce. So taking the checkout off-site, for example, just as you've taken your shipping calculations off-site and you pay a service for that, just as you've taken the payment gateways off-site, uh, thinking through the entire thing as a, as a modular piece, uh, headless commerce uh, is, is essentially that, where you've broken things down into subcomponents and used the best tool for the job, for each different job that you have in your store. Yeah, absolutely. And and so as a store owner, right, this is something to look for. What are the opportunities for you to participate in headless commerce? What what are the ways to make it stupid simple for people to give you money? I think there are a lot yeah. of options out there. Um again, Evo payments if you want to learn more about kind of how all of that works that integrates with Plesk's e-commerce toolkit. Stripe has been doing this for a long time, right? And Stripe also integrates with Apple Pay and Google Pay. And if you're using something like Shopify, use Shopify Pay. I don't know if that's like an optional thing. I haven't looked into it, but um, you definitely want to make it as frictionless as possible for people to send you money. And um, the harder it is, the the more likely they are to say, you know what, um, forget this. I'm not going to, I'll go somewhere else where it's easier. Yeah. Um, my two other uh, predictions. One, one other thing in this headless commerce vein, one of my favorite talks that happened at Woosash this year was from my friend Mohammed Massain, where he was showing off live commerce meets WooCommerce. And he was sharing a case study slash demo of some really cool tech that he helped develop. Uh, I think it was just earlier this year. No, it was, it was part of last year um, for a, a sewing company. They, I think they sell sewing patterns and sewing products like sewing machines and fabric and, and such. And they earned a lot of their revenue from live in-person events where they would show off you know, different products and, and ways of making crafts. And then people would buy the plant, the, you know, the, the, the tools that they showed off, the materials that they had, the patterns that they were using. And you can't do that when no one can congregate. Like, how, how do we do this? And so they switched to running virtual conferences where they would have almost like QVC meets yeah. uh, HGTV here in the US. So a, a sales channel, literally where they're just selling products all day long. And then a, an educational channel where they're showing off, here are these things that other people with your skills have made. And... Uh, through that, they would they were able to continue to sell all of their different stuff. But it was a very difficult thing to do. Like, how do we show them a buy button for this product? How do we make sure that they're buying the right thing? And so they they built out a, a pretty neat platform. So as the live event is happening, the correct buy button for the product that they're showing shows up somewhere 
near the video. So like they can say, now, if you want this, uh, look to the right or look below the video. You can see the product list. You can click and get more details and buy your own one of these. And that was my favorite thing to see demonstrated. I hope we see a lot more cool experiences like that. Um, and then the other thing uh, ties back into something that I said earlier. I think we're going to see a lot more small shops presenting like big, well-established brands in terms of like the sophistication of what they're doing because they have been equipped to offer post-sale transaction one-time offers or um, they are aware of better ways to market and sell what they're doing. And so they're creating these beautiful campaigns where you'll see an ad on uh, Instagram, right? And there's a video or there's a couple of uh, beautiful product images, which then takes you to a, a landing page dedicated to that thing that you saw the ad for, which then makes it very easy for you to buy and own whatever thing they had. So if my bold prediction of, yeah, you'll just be able to click one button, have the thing and not do all of these other friction uh, inserting steps, uh, then at least you'll have a cohesive experience of the ad looks like the landing page looks like the product in real life. And it will be just a small brand new shop that launched weeks ago, but it looks like they've been in business for a decade. Oh, that's, that's really cool. And again, if you look over the last couple of years, you've seen tools marching in that direction, right? Cart abandonment has gotten a lot easier. Um, or cart, it's not really abandonment, it's recapturing or something like that. Um, right. And then uh, personalization has gotten a lot easier than it used to be. And, and yeah, all of these things can make, you know, guys like us who are one man bands, um, one, one guy or one gal bands uh, do a bunch of sophisticated stuff that ultimately allow you to connect better with your customers. Cause that's really what it is, right? The um, web three is a thing that's been talked about a ton uh, about decentralized everything and um, a, a better community experience, a better personalized experience. And that's really what, that's what the in-person businesses were, right? You go to, you go to the pizza shop that knows you and, um, you know, you go to the, the dry cleaner because he, you know, he does your, your suit just the right way. Now we'll be able to translate that into a better commerce experience where you're buying from the shop because you feel like they really know your needs and can solve your problems. Exactly right. It's going to be very fun to see all the ways that e-commerce evolves in the year ahead. Awesome. Well, Brian Richards, it is always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, if people want to learn more about you and WP Sessions and uh, WooSesh, where can they go? Sure. So to learn more about me, probably the best place is my Twitter handle, twitter.com slash risen, which is R-Z-E-N. Uh, for WP Sessions, you can go to WPSessions.com. And for WooSesh, you can go to WooSesh.com, which is W-O-O-S-E-S-H.com. Fantastic. Uh, for all of the show notes, of which those links will be there, um, you can head over to Plesk.com slash podcast. We covered the whole season. It's the end of season two. Uh, and so if you want to listen to any of the episodes that we referenced, you can find them over there as well. Uh, and if you liked this episode, please consider subscribing in whatever podcast app 
of choice you happen to be listening to, uh, listening in. Thanks so much for listening to Next Level Ops today and all year. Have a great end of year, 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 year. We'll see you in 2022. And until then, remember to take it to the next level. <laughs>